0: My book, The Spirit of Work, Timeless Wisdom, Current Realities, is now published. By interweaving science, business, and sacred texts from the world's great spiritual traditions, The Spirit of Work offers a high-level but approachable way to view and structure work from individual community and institutional perspectives. As part of the book's reach and outreach, I will be adding some solo podcasts and interviews with authors who write to build healthy workplaces. To give you a taste of how the book's concepts can enhance your workplace experience, to get to the Spirit of Work links and purchase from online stores directly, click on the online store of your choice from my website, which is shiftworkplace.com slash the Spirit of Work. Make sure you put hyphens in between the words, the Spirit of Work, to ensure the correct URL comes up. So that's shiftworkplace.com slash the Spirit of Work, with hyphens. And that's how you'll get to your goal. Looking forward to your feedback. <music> Culture and Leadership Connections listeners. I am really, really honoured to present to you today Dr. Dele Ola. He is the Director of the Technology Access Centre for Aerospace and Manufacturing at Red River College Polytechnic and the award-winning author of Be a Change Agent, Leadership in a Time of Exponential Change. He's the publisher of the Prowez Leadership Newsletter, a change leader and an accomplished professional engineer. His passions include corporate leadership, personal growth, skills development, and technological innovation. Dr. Ola started his leadership journey with Accenture, which is a global Fortune 500 company, before earning his Doctor of Philosophy in Mechanical and Manufacturing Engineering from the University of Manitoba eventually transitioning to applied research in aerospace and manufacturing at Red River College Polytechnic. After many significant contributions, he became director of the Technology Access Center for Aerospace and Manufacturing, serving as a major contributor to applied research leadership. Dr. Ola has held many leadership positions and served on the board of several prominent organizations, won the 2016 Research Excellence Bravo Award, and his book, Be a Change Agent, won the business category of the 2021 Next Generation Indie Book Awards. He's an active leader in innovation and applied research and continues to lead change in his work. His vision is to develop change agents to challenge the status quo, take charge of the future, and evolve into what they are meant to be in life. Dr. Deliola, welcome to the podcast. Good
1: afternoon, Amari. Thank you so much for bringing me.
0: I'm really honoured that you were able to make the time for this interview. My pleasure. And I have a a particular interest in manufacturing because so many of my training and coaching clients come from the manufacturing industry, and I am in love with what manufacturing does for the economies around the world (laughs) and how important it is to our lives, really.
1: Yeah, interesting. It's cool.
0: Yeah, people have no idea how everything around them in their media environment is a result of manufacturing.
1: Yeah, you are right. Everything is all manufacturing, actually. It's all making something. Whether you're making food or you're making airplane, it's all making something. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> so
0: that was the professional bio, but tell the audience a little bit about who you are from a personal perspective.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I, I know you've said uh, so many things. Uh, yeah, my name is Delia and I'm a professional engineer, partly an academic also, a business leader and an award-winning author. And uh, you, you've said all of that. And currently I'm leading the Technology Access Center for Aerospace and Manufacturing uh, at Red River College Polytechnic in Winnipeg. So my team uh, is actually a team of technology professionals that supports regional innovation ecosystem here in Winnipeg. Mostly, we just work with companies to help solve their problems, to help bridge the applied research gap, uh, support new product prototyping, and things like that. And I'm also the co-founder of the ProWare's leadership, Myron. So it's part of the ProWest company, Inc., where we develop leaders and agents of change. I love reading. I love writing. I love speaking. And I'm also a publisher of two books, where one of them is the award-winning book, So in my personal time, apart from reading, writing, speaking, I also love cooking because I love food.
0: (laughs) I'm with you on the food part.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Mary.
0: And you have a family and where did you grow up? Tell us about the personal side.
1: So my wife and I actually run the ProWest Company Inc. She's here in Winnipeg uh, with me and uh, she's the Quality System Manager at KGS Group, Consulting Engineers and Project Managers. We have two kids. Uh, My daughter is 14 and my son is nine. So it's a busy time.
0: It is a busy time. Your children are the same age as my grandchildren who live in
1: Winnipeg. Oh, great. I <laughs> wait to, I'm waiting for the time to become the, the grandfather too.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's wonderful. I guess I
1: have years ahead of me.
0: <laughs> well, you probably do, but it's a great experience when you get there. Yeah. So you came to Canada. Did you come from Nigeria?
1: Yes, I came from Nigeria about 14 years ago. And after a few years of working in the city of Lagos, I decided to pull out and pursue my graduate studies. So Winnipeg became my destination for master's and PhD, and then the rest is history.
0: Ah, so you came here as an international student then? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Did your wife do the same thing?
1: Well, similar, but not exactly. So she came because I came, and then she also grabbed some education at Red River College Polytechnic here in Winnipeg.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it makes the transition easier uh, into the workforce if you do a degree here and you get sort of used to the culture?
1: Yeah, that is true, Uh, except that my situation may be a little bit uh, different because before coming to Canada, I did work for an international multinational organization, right? So if I'd wanted to keep working in that same field and I found myself in Canada, I could have worked with the same company in Canada. Otherwise, I wanted to be an engineer and to be an engineer, you have to be qualified to practice engineering in Canada. So the education was quite uh, important for me was a ladder into practicing professional engineering in Canada.
0: And a long ladder.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, good for you. I think it shows already, you know, your character to stick to something until the end, right? To yeah, set yeah, a goal and it. <laughs> work through it. Yeah. yeah. So can you share a couple of incidents from your childhood that you think made you into the person you are today? What stands out from your childhood for you?
1: So I'd like to, first of all, establish what my background or childhood looks like. So I have a very conservative Christian background. I was raised in a home where the parents were educated middle class and Christian. And because of that, I learned uh, a lot of fundamental principles of life at an early stage. For example, when you're talking about dignity of work, like the relationship between work and prosperity or doing well in life, I I understood that as a kid. Things like integrity and truthfulness, talking about faith and obedience and so many other things like that. Some of the really fundamental core so, But one important for me is the ability to survive in very difficult situations, and that shaped me into what I am today. And I will share, uh, no, it's not just an incident, it's an experience that I had. Uh, I remember when... I was in my teenage years in the early 1990s, growing up in Nigeria. uh, There was a political turmoil that swept across the whole country for many months then. Uh, It was, uh, well, for many Nigerians, they know it. we called it Hope 93. That was a June 12, 1993 election. That was really great free fair, great credible election, but was annulled uh, by the military government then. So which created a serious problem across the country. So because of the situation, it was like we were in a war. So people were unable to work. There was no cash to spend. There was curfew everywhere. And I remember what we went through to survive because my parents did not have salaries for about seven months. So that experience made us to improvise. We thought of different ways of survival, not us alone, but a lot of families at that time. And going through that experience alone, coupled with my Christian faith that gave me a lot of hope, a lot of discipline and all that, I think it shaped me a little bit into who I am today. And I'm so grateful that I had that kind of childhood.
0: Certainly, you didn't expect To be in that sense of being in a war zone and then having to sort of scramble for the basic necessities and the realization that you could do it when you needed to certainly gave you a whole new breadth of skills and perspectives, right? Yeah, exactly. So that is certainly formative. Any specific incident that stands out as being particularly memorable for you?
1: Yeah, so I talked about that. So that kind of carried me through my life. Like I, I was mentioning about my family, it was an educated middle class. When I was in the university uh, back in Nigeria, then I went to Awolowo University in Ilefe. It was quite a rigorous program that I, I went through and going through that four or five years of university required a lot of resilience. So I saw a lot of people drop out of school, like you would find in many places. But that resilience that was already built in me kind of helped me to survive, even when I did not have enough resources to live the way I would have wanted. You know, there were times when things were short, like you didn't have everything that you needed. So that's one I could remember very well. But being able to survive even when you don't have everything you need, I think it's quite important. And also having that hope that, you know, things are going to get better. So I think that kept me going. I I have a lot of hope. And even now, uh, it doesn't matter if I fail, like, say, 500 times, I will still get up and try again because (laughs) I know there is always light at the end of the tunnel. So growing up uh, in that environment where some people had a lot, some people had none, some people had a little, but I was part of those that had somewhat kind of in the middle and it required a lot of courage to survive. So my university days was quite uh, an example where I needed to just keep being hopeful that, you know, I will finish this degree. And I will get out there and I will do well for myself. Right.
0: Yeah. You set yourself the goal and you figured it may take time and patience. There may be some hardships. You didn't expect that you should not have hardships or that it should just be handed to you. And you just kept going until you reached it. So that sounds like, I mean, right from the very first Mm -hmm. sentence of your bio, I was already thinking that that was one of your character traits. So from the groups you're born into. You already mentioned a couple. You said you were in Lagos, but did you grow up there? Did you grow in another area? Was it rural? Was it urban? Um, So there's that. Did you have to move around because of the internal issues that were happening in Nigeria at the time? So the groups that you were born into would have affected you. And then, of course, you mentioned what you gained from Christianity, born into a conservative Christian family. So that would be another one. But there could be others. And also family right? And family lineage often has an influence on people. So what were some of those influences when you reflect back on them, those groups that you were born into that you think have shaped you?
1: So I just wanted to clarify also that uh, the incident of 1993 that I talked about lasted for only a a short period of time before things kind of returned back to normal. So it wasn't like something that extended forever. However, uh, like you said, uh, there were lots of influences as I grew up. So, you were asking specifically about whether I lived in Lagos or grew up in Lagos and all that. So, I grew up in the city of Ibadan. Ibadan mm-hmm. is uh, like 120 kilometers from Lagos, more inland. And it's a city, I would say, maybe the population is about 5 million. Now, maybe three million then, I'm not sure exactly how many people were in Ibadan, but it was one of the oldest cities in Africa. I could could tell you that uh, because Ibadan had the first uh, skyscraper in the whole of West Africa. (laughs) Mm. And that was uh, a 24-story cocoa house in Ibadan, (laughs) so you could imagine. Uh, Although times have changed uh, since then now. So again, Ibadan is part of Yoruba land. So there are like maybe six, seven states uh, within the Yoruba land. So my background is native Yoruba ancestry Mm -hmm. from southwest Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And I'm so very proud to belong to that ethnic group or to be part of that. So I grew up in Ibadan.
0: What's something about Yoruba that would help our listeners understand <laughs> something about Yoruba will, Yoruban culture and?
1: I will get there. So you had the question about the influence that I that my hmm. background had. So let me pick two different areas and tell you the influence of the two areas. So one is my ethnicity, which is the Yoruba ancestry from Southwest Nigeria, and the other one that I will not be able to cut my Myself from is the impact of my religious beliefs or the background that I had from Christianity on how I view my life and all of that. So for the Yoruba people, you know what, I would just mention one aspect of us. Uh, we are very well driven, progressive and forward thinking people. So the people of my tribe, we quickly embraced like the Western education more than any part of uh, Nigeria. And in fact, arguably, Africa, because of that progressive mentality, right? So we have our own local culture—a culture of respect, a culture of hard work—that I believe that I inherited, and I'm also trying to pass uh, to my children too, trying to tell them a little bit about our culture. So we are people that have methods of doing things. So we have. Methods of doing everything, marriage or worship or everything is all methodic, and we are very progressive and forward-thinking people. So coming from that background really shaped me a lot. And talking about religion, so it's not really about the religion, but the Christian faith and the values uh, that were ex- exemplified by uh, the father figure that we have in the Christian faith, which Jesus Christ. So, for example. Even in my leadership journey now that are more in the secular, in the business world, we teach about servant leadership, for example. But the first real example of servant leadership that we found uh, is in the person of Jesus Christ, who said that whoever wants to be the lead should be the servant of all, right? So it taught us a lot about being faithful in something that is little so that we'll be given much, right? So there are so many aspects of that Christian faith that shaped my view about leadership. And I also like to claim that Christianity is the only religion uh, where you will find that we are actually commanded to love people that don't do good to us. Well, call them enemies uh, in, that, in that sense. So we we are taught to love our enemies, to love those people that even despitefully use us or people that will not reciprocate our love and stuff like that. I think, I think it's only in Christianity that you'll find that you have to go an extra mile for people that even hate you, right? So all those things, they kind of form the foundation of my life generally, because I see that as value, you know, being able to be compassionate to other people, being gracious to people and all of that. And coupled with that hardworking, forward-thinking, progressive background, Uh, From the the Yoruba culture that I grew up in, I think uh, they kind of influenced the way I see myself and the way I do my things.
0: Well, that was a very articulate self-reflection. Not that many people are able to reflect back uh, on their lives with that degree of depth. And so I really appreciated that. Yeah, it's great. When you think back, that's when you think, well, these are where my roots are. And it helps you to move forward and to not be scared of new horizons, I think. But uh, if you think back and stay back, then there's no new horizons. But if you're only looking to the new horizons, you feel rootless. So I think you, you show a nice example of roots and being open to new horizons at the same time. Now, of course, you moved to Canada, but I'm sure there are other things that happened: in moving into engineering, moving into manufacturing, moving into academic work, um, business leadership. All of those are different groups, uh, and then there you you have other hobbies and those introduce you to other groups and you would have been introduced to other ethnicities, other nationalities. And so from those groups that you chose to belong to or associate with, what would you say has rubbed off and become a part of who you are now?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I actually belong to many groups. Because my experience is very wide, Uh, I would say it's wide, uh, because I've dabbled into so many things over the years. But I see myself more from the position of an influencer rather than just being shaped by the practices of the groups that I belong to. And I will try to explain that very carefully. So, one thing that I'm committed to now and for the rest of my life is to make sure that I'm responsible for constructing my own experience, my own style, my own leadership, and the outcomes of my life. And I want to base that on knowledge. So, if you understand what I'm saying uh, very well, so there are times when we were young, when we're still kind of growing, that we don't know too much about the world. So, in that sense, we kind of take on different forms of what we are exposed to, right? But it gets to a time when we begin to become ourselves and we are able to choose where we really want to go. So the fact that I belong to certain groups doesn't mean that I get shaped by that group necessarily, but I see myself more from the influencer perspective. So I wouldn't say that I've adopted any aspects of cultures like that, but I've learned through my experiences associating with the groups. I'm going to
0: challenge you on that. If you think of yourself as only being an influencer and never as being influenced, you are vulnerable to being driven by influences that you're unaware of. It's also a way for people to justify unconscious bias.
1: Yes. So you are partly right. So what I do with the groups is I take on my heart of... Learning. So it's mostly learning. But I want a specific Uh, example.
0: I'll give you an example. So I had next door neighbors who were East Indian when I was a student in my first program. And they spoke to me about what their values were and what mattered to them and how their family worked. And they shared different dishes with me and taught me how to cook some of the things that they knew how to cook. And I still cook some of those dishes. And I learned the whole family structure and how to respect a family from them. Because I grew up in a nuclear family. So those things I have taken on, not 100%, because you'd never adopt another culture, but... You can take on pieces of it. So I've taken those things on and they have made me a better person as a result. And at first it was unconscious, but then it became conscious. It became intentional. So if you are only just giving to other people and never taking anything on or controlling everything that's around you, then you're missing out on a really big, important part of the diversity of the human experience.
1: Yes. So Marie, you mentioned one keyword there. You said learn. So it's about the learning Not so. uh, That's why I said I need to explain uh, properly so that you understand my point. So the, the key point there is that everyone is responsible for constructing the outcomes of their lives when they are mature. So the fact that I belong to a group doesn't mean that I take on the form and the shape of the group. I can learn from them. Just like your friend who is from East India, you could be exposed to the food and stuff, and still not be influenced by it. But what do you get by doing that? You get to learn about them. You get to learn what they eat. You get to learn their culture so that when you are responding to them or when you are relating with them, you are relating with them from the position of knowledge and awareness, right? So that's exactly what I mean. So I have, for example, I have a lot of friends that smoke, that doesn't mean that I would begin to take on that culture because I'm old enough not to be influenced by that, right? So that's exactly what I'm saying. So I see myself more as a contributor uh, to what is going on around me uh, because I want to be selfless. I want to teach out what I have and at the same time learning from other people. So that's exactly what I'm saying. So for example, I belong among like many intellectuals now. And because of that, have learned to conduct research. So learning to conduct research became a process for me, right? Because I wanted to take that on as a person. So I don't want to be misunderstood by saying that I see myself more as an influencer. Uh, I'm an influencer, but I I would not just adopt uh, the shape or form of a group uh, because I belong there. And I belong to so many groups. So I can't be every time.
0: No, and you wouldn't want to be because that would be very disorienting. I think the research is a good example because when you learn to research, it becomes part of the who you are and how you think. And it's a useful tool. So... In any cultural experience, there's always something you can take away from it. Even with your friends who smoke, something that's really useful about smokers is that they take regular breaks. They take regular breaks to feed their addiction, (laughs) but most people don't take regular breaks, which is very unhealthy. And so something I would adopt from smoker culture would be to take regular breaks. And Mary, you know what? (laughs) I
1: can give you another very close example. So because of the nature of my work, sometimes I'm on trips or I'm at meetings where we had dinners or we had bars and stuff. Stuff like that. Majority of my colleagues drink alcohol and I will not exempt myself from those meetings because very important things are discussed even at the bar. So I would go to the bar with them, but I will order for ginger ale and I will tell them to put it on the rock, if you know what that means. So I would say, just give me that glass of ginger ale. So others are drinking whatever and I'm comfortable sitting there and drinking my ginger ale, right? So the fact that I'm at the bar almost regularly with friends and colleagues doesn't mean that I will begin to drink, right? Because I can make a choice on where I want to go and what I want to do.
0: I think it's an example of moral leadership that we're talking about, because you're acting out of integrity.
1: So you're thinking, what do I
0: want to choose that works with me and my values and that suits how I want to be known and what my legacy will be? And then you make your choices from there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm basically saying that, yeah, it is true that people will be influenced by their association. I'm a believer in that also. But the reality is that if you can construct how you are influenced also because you are self-aware. So anyone with uh, emotional intelligence would understand that you are in charge. Nobody makes anyone do anything. (laughs) Everybody is an architect of their own destiny.
0: So let's go to the next question, which is about... Temperament and personality. So temperament, although that's sometimes hard for people to separate because nature and nurture are so closely intertwined, people will go, oh, right, Delhi was like that from the time he was two, he's still the same. And some things are the same, their temperament, you're born with them. Some kids are shy, some are more outgoing. Some are more methodical, some are more spontaneous. And then depending on how you respond to the things that are around you and opportunities that you gain or miss, you grow on other pieces that become part of who you are. So what would you say is your temperament, some of the characteristics you were born with, and what are a couple of things you might have added on as you grew?
1: I'm not sure exactly what I was born with, but I remember that when I was much younger, like my teenage years, some of my uncles would say, oh, Dele is very reserved, as a very reserved person. So I take on more of the introverted style, but I'm also at the edge. So I'm not like a fully withdrawn person. I'm someone that when I have to be out there, I am, And I can be very outspoken also when I have to. So it's kind of just borderline between introverted and extroverted personality.
0: You may also be a social introvert. So introverts really get their energy from being alone and doing their own work and thinking yeah. their own things through, but they they enjoy the company of other people. They just don't seek it out to get energy exactly. from
1: it. Yeah. I think you are describing it a little better than I am right now. So yeah, I'm not like the, the one that is always kind of out there, always loud and, you know, like, you know, always connecting and all that. But when I have to do the connecting, I I also don't have any problem with that. I don't don't take backseat at any time. I'm always in front and I'm very vocal, Mm -hmm. except that I'm a little bit reserved in the sense that if I don't have to do that, then I don't have to do it. So that's kind of the personality. But you also talked about, you know, the temperament, the personality and uh, the way I see things and all that. So I'm someone that had a lot of opportunities in my life, and at least that's how I see life, from optimism rather than pessimism. So that doesn't mean that I don't have all my negative experience, but I've had lots of opportunities. So even though I'm not sure what I'm born with, I have discovered many things about myself. So for example, I tend to thrive more in an environment that is knowledge-based, I've definitely understood that about myself. So if you want to uh, get me a little bit uncomfortable, put me in an environment where everything is all emotional, everything is all political, everything is all... Uh, who you know and all those kind of things, then uh, I will be pissed off a little bit. I like things to kind of follow uh, methods and process. I like things to be to be reasonable, and I like things to be fair. So I kind of understood that about myself, and I also know that I'm naturally inclined to having people cooperate with me. So not because I do them, or I'm not a political person in that sense, but I personally know that people generally give me a bit of respect and people gravitate towards me because of that. So I don't know what I exude that helps to do that, but I know that I have a lot of people cooperate with me. For example, I have a work team right now. I have 16 people in my team and everyone seems to really get along with me very well. And I get along with all of them. And this is not eating. I'm not saying it because I'm on uh, on a show. uh, But in fact, if they are listening to me right now, they can testify to that, that we get along very well. So... I know that about myself and I'm currently taking advantage of that to see how I could support or help to develop other people. So I'm talking Mm -hmm. about the way I view the world. I've learned that, you know, we're all just workers in this world. We are all part of a very expansive project that we are all doing. So it's like we our job here is to govern everything within human reach. So we are in charge of the world, basically. So and every one of us is part of a piece of a puzzle within that work. So again, that's the way I see the world. So I'm here to just contribute my quota uh, while other people are there to contribute their quota too.
0: You see yourself as being a collaborative person, but you like to be in charge and you like the structure of the environment around you to be predictable.
1: Not really being in charge, uh, but I see myself more like working with other people. So Mm -hmm. everyone has a place that they occupy. And if everyone will do their part, then everything will come together very nicely. If they fit
0: into a structure... That you like the structure, it sounds
1: to me. Yeah, I like things to be not fully structured in that way, because when you say structure, sometimes people can take it on the other side and say, oh, this person is just uh, like a monotonous. No, like, I don't mean rigid. Really like
0: I just mean yeah. you like the structure. I like structure yes. too. So, yeah. for
1: example, if we have work to do, uh, Marie, together, mm-hmm. I want to know, so when are we starting? When are we finishing?
0: Yeah, me then too. <laughs> what is in between?
1: Right. So I like things to be systematic. I like things to be clear. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the way I live my life. That's the way I think things should be because you see when things are done systematically, you can measure the outcome. You can see how, how it pans out, you know, and I want things to be fair and to be based on merit also. So, and that's why when I was talking about things that are too emotional or too political in the sense of being political, like sometimes I don't like when justice is aborted, for example, just for any other reason, I think my sense of justice is that justice has to be justice. So what is justice just? So we can't explain it away. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. just the worldview that I share.
0: Right. Your worldview comes as a result of your own cultural background. So can you think about a time when you felt that you experienced a cultural shock or a cognitive dissonance that made you realize that the way you see things is not the way other people see things?
1: Yeah. So cultural shock... I won't say that it's exactly a shock, but I would say an eye-opening uh, moment or a light bulb uh, moment. So I have a background uh, from growing up in Nigeria, maybe the first three decades of my life there or something of that nature. Uh, but the reality was that while I was growing up in Nigeria, Uh, Nigeria is not also like a remote village somewhere, right? It's also a a fairly developed place. So we understood what was going on elsewhere in the world. So I I will say it that way. But one thing that stood out for me when I started living in Canada, and which I started noticing about 14 years ago, was how it is not quite normal for people to speak up and be really confrontational. So I noticed that when I got it and when I I also have almost an empirical way to <laughs> to testify to what I'm saying, because I was teaching a group a while ago. I was teaching about leadership and I was presenting uh, my veritas concept, which was part of my first book. So I did a poll and in the result of the poll, I saw that a lot of people in the audience wanted to develop their audacity, like the ability to be bold and to be able to speak up and to be able to confront things and to be able to. So I noticed that that's kind of how it is. But from my childhood and my the culture that I grew up with, uh, you are able to question norms and face people, face facts, be direct. Right. So even if you have someone in a position of authority, who seems not to be doing well, you can call them up and <laughs> you 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 know you can you can do that. But I notice here in Canada that people tend to be uh,
0: they take it uh, as a personal insult. Yeah. No, no, no because no, no. You know what I mean so when Nigerians tend to be more direct and more confrontational, and they don't ruin the relationship by being confrontational. No, They're no. just working on an idea. But so, Canadians so not, don't get that. They go, Oh, this person doesn't like me, but it's not about liking you. No, no, it's no, 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 no. So get like so,
1: that, me right so this is not about who is right or who is wrong it's just the style right so every culture every society has a norm right and you know i work with a lot of people now and i'm able to navigate these things very well uh, with a lot of respect so and you have to respect people's space okay i will give you an example of what i'm saying so i've seen managers who have non-performing employees and they will find it very difficult to engage in a conversation with a person. Because That's because Canadians are very
0: risk avoidant. It's a cultural tendency.
1: <laughs> well, I don't also want to generalize it like that.
0: But there's a difference between cultural norms and cultural stereotypes. A cultural yeah. norm is a tendency, but it doesn't mean everybody does it. A cultural norm is something that if you see it, you go, right, that sounds like they're either close to that cultural norm or they're far away no, on one other no. side. But a stereotype <laughs> is when you proactively insist that the group is all like that. I want to make sure you understand that I'm not making a stereotype. I'm saying making a cultural norm generalization.
1: Yeah. So I'm not generalizing this, but it's in many cases of what I've seen. So the tendency to be direct is not as prominent. So when I got here and I, I saw that it was a light bulb moment, that okay. So I also need to understand how to work this out. So it's not every time that you can be direct. So because you have to study where you are and understand how things work before you do it. And again, it's been 14 years in Canada, and I can almost tell you that I noticed that. Again, if you are not coming from a culture that is very different from that, it may be difficult to see. It's like you said, unconscious bias, right? So sometimes things are certain way, but we just can't see it.
0: When people don't understand the cultural influence of something, they take it as personal. So as soon as they have a better cultural understanding, they suspend judgment and say, what do I need to understand here?
1: Yeah, and Again, you know what? I've got a lot of people from my background that have told me that they've been in situations where people take them to be too loud <laughs> or too confrontational, even something like that. So, again, kind of establishing that uh, there is a tendency to be hit either here or there. But again, uh, I wouldn't say that any particular one is wrong because everything has its own place, right?
0: It's just how cultures evolve. It doesn't have to do with rightness or wrongness. Every group evolves its own norms. So we're getting to the end of the interview and I wanted to ask you when people work with you, what brings out the best in you? What kind of an environment brings out the best qualities in Delhi? Yeah.
1: So I think we've already touched on that. I've told you a little bit about my values so that I like things to be based on merit. I like things to be fair. So if you put me in an environment where hard work is rewarded, where there is reward for competence, I think I'm going to thrive very well there. When there is appreciation for contribution, appreciation for knowledge, appreciation for people's effort, I think I'm going to thrive there. But if you put me in a situation where you need to, I don't really know how to put this, but it's survival of the fittest. Like everybody steps on everybody, everybody writes on everybody to to do stuff. I think I would I would probably not. That would not be a fit for me. Mm-hmm. I like things to be open. I like people to be honest. I like communication to be honest and be open. Mm-hmm. And when I disagree with people, I hope that they know that they can disagree with me too. So it's all open and honest communication. But people can always learn when they are open. So that's the way I see things. And if you really want to motivate me, you can put me in that kind of environment where people are honest so when they say it's morning i can open my window and look outside and see yeah it's morning truly
0: thank you that's great so here's your soapbox moment is there something you'd like to promote
1: yeah well not so much of promotion uh our company uh the ProWest company inc we are partnering with uh, american society for quality to deliver trainings in canada so the first training we are offering is the quality 101, uh, ASQ quality 101 that will take off this summer. So you can contact us for details, ProWare's leadership. We're on LinkedIn. So if you just look for ProWes leadership, ProWare's is P-R-O-W-E-Z-Z, leadership. We're on LinkedIn. So you can visit our page and access our resources through my website, diliola.com. And I have two amazing books, Be a Change Agent and Pursuit of Personal Leadership.
0: Great. So we'll put those into the show notes and Dele Ola is spelt exactly like it sounds, D-E-L-E and then O-L-A. And he already Mm -hmm. spelt out PROAS. We'll put those in the show notes so that you can look them up if you would like to get in touch with him and Mm -hmm. take advantage of this training, which sounds like a really great idea because that's certainly something that we always need. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close?
1: I just want to say thank you, Mary, for bringing me. It's a great honor and it's my pleasure. I see it as a privilege to be on your podcast. So thank you very much for that.
0: Well, it's been an honor and a privilege for me too. So it's a mutual admiration club here. And I look forward to uh, getting the feedback once you've heard the published episode, and also from hearing feedback from our listeners. So, with that, I thank you again for being on the podcast, and wish you a wonderful rest of the day.
1: And you too. Thank you, Mary.
0: Deli Ola is a man of determination, grit, and vision. Faced with some childhood survival challenges during a time of turmoil in Nigeria, and later in college helped him deepen his focus on the end goal while maintaining an attitude of hope and remaining patient until he achieved his desire. Dr. Ola's focus and patience are only matched by his drive to achieve, as evidenced by his many academic, business, research, and authorship accomplishments. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will share it widely, rate it, and help us reach our goal of a thousand downloads per episode. Thank you for listening. And may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and inspire your day. Hey, podcast listeners, help us reach our goal of a thousand downloads per episode by going to slash culture and leadership. That's slash culture and leadership. If you type that into your browser and you use the and sign, not the word and culture and leadership, it will automatically adjust to your phone, and then you can follow and rate. So follow the podcast.com slash culture and leadership. Thanks in advance for following and for reviewing.